What's up, you guys? Happy Sunday, and welcome back to the Brunch with Desby podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. If you're new here, what is up? And if you're not new here, welcome back. As you guys know, the past three weeks now, going on three weeks, I have been doing my Pass the Mic series, amplifying the voices of men and women in the Black community and passing over my podcast mic to hear their stories and bring them directly to you. Through this time, I've also realized that I want to continue to expand past the mic to other people of all different walks of life, beliefs, and backgrounds. So if you guys ever have someone that you believe would be a great podcaster on the show, um, please feel free to email me at desbyfit at gmail to share them and their story. And if you want to call it, nominate them. <laughs> Today, I'm really excited because I have... An awesome, strong, proud black man, Avery Taylor, who is going to join the podcast today. He has an amazing, amazing background story. We didn't dive too hard into it because I wanted to ensure I could still hear him and hear him out on the podcast itself. But just from our phone calls previous to this, I was just in utter shock of the background that he has and the story that is to come I'm very, very excited to share and also just have you guys walk away again with hearing someone else's story um, and just being empowered uh, to see and hear what other people go through and what they face and empowering you to be a better person as well. So I hope that you guys really are enjoying this series. If you haven't already, make sure that you review this podcast. Give it a five star. Give it a, a thumbs up. Share it on your Instagram story. Share it on podcasts, um, on your Facebook, share it to your family, whoever you think could benefit from just hearing an awesome story to be inspired. I would really, really appreciate it. So without further ado, let's bring on Avery and get into the podcast. guys so as I gave you in the beginning of this podcast intro I have a newfound friend Avery on today and I'm really excited to hear his story a little bit more myself uh, but obviously share it to you guys um, and get into asking you know kind of what we talked about before the hard questions um, being able to have an open conversation and see where it goes so Avery I'm so excited to have you on Thank you for being here. Super excited to be here. Man, <laughs> I've been waiting on this moment. I feel like this has been a buildup. I'm ready to get it going. <laughs> well, I'm super, I'm super excited because I, I said this as well um, because I, I recorded with a girl who was actually connected with me by Ari as well. So I hate to keep, I like bring her up every episode, but I just want to say thank you to Ari again for connecting me with some really cool individuals. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, you know her as well. She is such a light. Um, so thank you, R.E.P.S. <laughs> so, so let me just say this real quick. Ariana is the shit. Like, she is. People out there do not know her. <laughs> Besides all of the stuff that's going on right now, we all know what she's doing, raising money for for people that have been put in an unjust situation for mm -hmm. a really, really long time. And she's not a person of color per se, but she feels it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you see those people and you see them online and even the, the fucking people that talk about all these people are just online and they're talking about it. No, she's talking about it, but she's being about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know, she works with me. I We haven't even gotten into that side of the business mm -hmm. and the side of conversation, but she's the shit. I just wanted to say that. So, Ariana, <laughs> shout out to you. I've already texted her like 10 times this morning. I love this. I love it. Well, big claps to Ari. And again, yeah, she is such a straight shooter. Um, mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I really respect about her. So I knew the people that she's connecting me with to 
not only meet myself, you know, and network myself, but also just to hear your guys' stories and share those. I knew that she wasn't handing me no bullshit, you know, person, anything who's not going to have an amazing story and be able to share it. So super pumped to have you here again. Um, I just want to like break in the ice immediately. Go ahead, Mm -hmm. take your time, however you need, introduce yourself. Um, You can go as deep as you want or keep it surface level and we can unpack it, whatever it wants, whatever you want it to be. But go ahead and tell the audience kind of who you are and where you're from, et cetera. Man, so, you know, I freaking talk a lot. So (laughs) I'll try to I'll try to contain myself as much as possible. If you ask my wife, she'll be like, every don't say too much. All right. So, you know, long story short, man, I am I am a serial entrepreneur, have been my entire life. Um, started when I was 16 with my first business, me and my homeboy started throwing parties at his parents' house when they went out of town (laughs) and we charged $2 to get in. And ever since then, I've been in love with the fact that I could make money, right? I don't love it, but I like it a lot. Mm -hmm. But before that, man, I was really like, lack of better terms. I was really like one of those kids that you saw on TV, donate 25 cents and help this kid across the world. This could be the child that you help. Mm-hmm. Now, I probably wasn't the one that was on TV, but I was like definitely like them. I was born in Ghana, South America. I was adopted by an American, African American family here in the States. Um, you know, a little bit about my mom. She had a stillborn baby when she was in college. And she always wanted to be a mom. Um, so, two to three months later, because back then in 87, 86, it was a lot easier, mm-hmm. she ended up adopting me. And my story begins right there. Like, you know, I was lost in the sauce. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody wanted me. And to this day, you know, I still fight that feeling. I still fight that feeling of like, man, like nobody wanted me. My parents wanted to just throw me out to the wolves. Mm-hmm. But then I have to bring myself back to a reality that somebody did want me. And I ended up in a fucking amazing situation with where I am now. So, you know, my mom went through the through the uh rigmarole of adopting me she got me two months later after she filled everything out i had been in the hospital um so obviously they still had to nurse me up in this whole nine yards i I have zero pictures of me being like an infant um and when i say infant i'm talking about like zero to four months right Mm -hmm. so i have pictures of me four months and along the way um my mom went and picked me up and she's had me ever since and, you know, I tell people all the time because we talk about I used to be a football coach. I was coach at a George Junior High and Terry High School. Okay. And we used to always talk about finding your purpose and what's your why. Right. right. So hard for people to do that. But it was so easy for me because I'm living a life that for two people. Mm-hmm. Right. There was, there was this kid that was, you know, that everybody had dreams and aspirations for, including his parents. And they thought that he was going to do this and they thought that he was going to do that. Well, obviously, none of that happened because he couldn't be here. Mm-hmm. So when my mom and my mom's husband, my dad at the time, my dad, um, you know, when they went and got me, that gave me an entirely new life that this other person couldn't live. Mm-hmm. I had to live for two people from that moment on. I took his name. I took his house. I took his, his room, his clothes, his car seat, his parents. Like, I took a lot of stuff that he couldn't have. So my why has always gone back to that. And I, I felt like I've been so lucky to have a why that has been defined throughout my entire life, right? right. Um, so, you know, moving forward, my parents get me. I'm raised in a really, really small town called Kendleton, Texas, population of about 600, according to the census. Um, didn't grow up around a lot of white people. Uh, it was one white family that lived in Kendleton when I was growing up. A guy by the name of Daryl Red married a lady named Cindy, a white lady, and that was the only 
white lady that I knew growing up until like I started moving out of Kendleton and doing different things. And luckily my mom kept me in so many things that I got to experience so many different types of people. Right. Um, but you know, for me, that was a big thing because you grow up in this small town, everybody surrounding you, they look like you, they go through the same things that you do. Nobody has a lot of money. You're just mm -hmm. fighting to fighting to get out, right? But when you say get out, you don't know where the hell you're going. You're just fighting to come up. Right. And you know, that's basically what I did. I mean, I went to school, I wasn't the best student. I went to a high school named Terry High School where I then ended up coaching there later on. Um, and I tell my mom all the time, and she still to this day has my high school degree. She used to tell me, like, this is my degree because I made you get this one. Everything else you keep at your house. I'm going to keep this one. So that was kind of my mentality in high school. My mom, you know, that was her degree because she made sure that I got it. Um, everything else, now I have my bachelor's degree. I have my master's. Those are hanging on my walls in my houses, in my house. Mm -hmm. Um those are the ones that I fought to get. My mom pushed me to get that high school diploma. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's probably the same in a lot of black households. Like we mm -hmm. don't really see the benefit of having that high school degree or diploma, but the parents, you know, they've been through the hardships and they know you at least need this piece of paper. So then maybe you can think about getting the next one. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, moving forward, I ended up graduating, went to go run track at a small school named Houston Tillerson, which I'm super proud of my school they just had a big march there um and i ran track there later on got in a little trouble came back home and i really really deep dove into what i wanted to do as far as being an entrepreneur mm -hmm. um got in some more trouble ended up having to go to the military i was in the military for six years so in the middle of this i tell people all the time i live the life of somebody that's at least 50. Right. right. <laughs> because I've, I've i've been a serial entrepreneur done a lot of things have you know, have been to the military, have, you know, started multiple businesses. Some weren't really good and some did really well. Um, but, you know, moving forward now, you know, and I skipped over a lot as far as like what I've done in the business world. Now I've been super successful with real estate. Um, I own multiple properties now. I've branched out. Now we're starting a logistics company where we have 18 wheelers. Um, we're starting an app that's going to be based in the real estate world. Mm -hmm. So real estate has definitely, most definitely been the pilot to how I get to live now. Right. So, wow. but it doesn't change what people see when they look at me and I, and I, and I'll tell a little bit about this story and I know yeah. we're going to get into it, but I always tell people about this, no matter where you are, you still have to remember who you are. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, I think that we can get money and we can get success and sometimes, you know, lose the fact that, hey, you're still who you are when they look at you. And I was reminded and I'm reminded all the time, but I was recently reminded when I pull out of my driveway, I'm driving down the street. My son was flying a kite. The kite got stuck on one of the neighbors in the neighborhood's house. I stopped. I said, hey, we left a note. I apologize. My son's kite got stuck on top of your house. I just wanted to make sure that you saw the note. He was like, yeah, we saw the note. But we didn't see the kite, but thank you for stopping. Hey, by the way, um, what do you do? Before I can even answer what I did, the guy said, because my wife swears you're a drug dealer. And I was like, what? wait, what? Like, took took it to a totally different place, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> and so then at this point, I'm like, I'm not even going to tell this guy what I do. But I was like, well, why did your wife say that? And he was like, well, because we see the cars you drive and you're always at home. 
So, you know, that I guess that's just the first thing she thought about. And I was like, oh, okay, well, have a good day. And I just drove off. Oh my that gosh. is the perfect, you know, that's the perfect scenario of being reminded who you are at all times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and if you don't remember it, somebody will make sure <laughs> right. that they remind you of it no matter what, no matter how successful you are. So, long story, but that's a little bit about who I am and, and kind of where I am at this point with all this craziness going on in the world. Right. Well, I mean, and again, you've you've lived a life for not just two people, but like two 20 decades. <laughs> it seems like you've just you've gone through a lot. At in, Do you mind telling everyone your age? Oh, so, yeah, I'm 32. Um, OK, yeah, so, so still young. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I mean, I, I feel like I am physically, mm-hmm. but like, yeah. I want to do so much stuff. So I tell my wife, like, hey, we're a little bit behind. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm, right. Like, we right. got to we gotta catch up to what we see on our vision boards. And I'm, I'm in my office right now, and I just am having to turn to look at my vision boards. And I've accomplished a lot of stuff on here, and she's accomplished a lot of stuff on hers because we keep separate uh, vision boards. But right. I feel like I'm behind because me, I'm like, all of this needs to be done like right now, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So sometimes I lose track of how old I am. If, we, if my wife was here and we asked her, does they even know how old he is? Like it took me a while to remember <laughs> when you just asked me because right. I literally forget how old I am. I'm like, I was born in 87 and this year is okay. Okay. Yeah. That's how old I am. Right. Yeah. So it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I feel like we probably have very similar personalities in the way of going and going and getting them and, feeling behind. Cause I mean, I'm only 25, but that's amazing. I think, I think of what I've done and most people would, you know, applause. And then you're like, mm-hmm. but wait, no, 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 no. Yeah. Like I'm actually really behind. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, we have mm-hmm. these, uh, and, and that's what keeps us going. Right. We, we feel like we're behind and we're always playing that catch up game, but also finding those times to be really grateful and look back. And I hope that this conversation even does that for you, right. um, by kind of unpacking what all you've gone through again, um, and remembering, so it's not often we get to really talk about our stories to where when we do, it's, you know, you get off the phone or whatever conversation, you're like, wow, I, I have done a lot. You know, right. I've, I've been through a lot. I'm doing a lot. I'm being active, et cetera. So I kind of want to start back at the beginning because I do think that your adoption story in general is just really, really unique and beautiful and how, how you've adopted it yourself of living this life for two people. So you mentioned kind of taking his name, his clothes, his family, all of this. So did your, did your mom ever, like, did you guys memorialize him a lot, like through your upbringing as well? Well, so, I mean, no, we didn't. And, you know, thinking back on it, you know, you always wonder like, hey, what did this person look like? And, you Mm -hmm, know, what, mm -hmm. what, what would his path have been? So for me, I think that a lot of my focus had always been on my mom. I was raised by a single mom. Uh, me and my okay. dad, me and my dad are real cool, but you know they got a divorce when I was two years old, so it was just me and mm-hmm. my mom. And you know, I I think for me, I mostly thought about like what my mom's feelings would be, um, right? And I've always wanted to show the appreciation for the fact that she took a chance on adopting a child that she knew nothing about. So, mm-hmm. and I want to say, and I, I I don't know how bad this is to say, but. I almost didn't bring up the fact that she had lost a child. I don't think we started mm-hmm. talking about it here until recently. Um, wow. But in terms of me being adopted, she, we had adoption day parties. It was the best mm-hmm. shit ever. It was like having two birthdays, yeah. right? So, <laughs> right. you know, I hear I hear 
freaking horror stories. My mom was actually the mm-hmm. first person to adopt in her family. Now I probably have about five cousins that are adopted. That's awesome. Um, but I hear horror stories from some of my cousins, and they mm-hmm. all stem. And I don't, I don't want to put a generalization on it because I don't know every adopted person in the world. But just in my family in general, all of these horror stories stem from people being like, I didn't even know I was adopted and my parents kept it from me for X amount of years. And I wow. found out and I, you know, I felt totally betrayed and all of this shit. I'm like, I didn't have that story. I was two, mm-hmm. three, four, five years old having the biggest adoption day party. And I was having a birthday party and then I was having an adoption day party. And then all right. my friends would come and me being adopted was, I mean, it was, it wasn't even a, thought like it was just like a normal thing because my mom mm-hmm. made it that way and my mom used to always explain it she used to be like think about all your friends all your friends that you got right now no matter how much money they have no matter how much shit they have in their rooms think about them they didn't get to choose their parents and their parents didn't get to choose them i actually went to the mm-hmm. baby store and picked you up so right. explaining that to somebody that's a teenager or, or 19 11 and 12 years old you like that like it's like going to the store and getting a new pair of Jordans. My mama could have chose between <laughs> all of these babies and she picked me. So that's how I was always taught, you know, when right. I was younger. So just because of that, my admiration for my mom, and my wife will tell you, I'm a fuck, I'm a mama's boy to the core. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so I love it. my admiration for my mom has been like, I mean, it's been stupendous. Like, it's been crazy. I can't even think of the words to describe it, but I love my mom to the core because of the things that she's done and because of the the way that she's been towards me throughout the adoption process. I mean, to this day, people feel like we look alike. And, you know, in our household, my mom always said, he looks like me because I fed him his whole life. (laughs) It's still a joke. You know what I mean? It's it's just normal. So, you know, my experience, I think it's been a lot different than other people's. Um, But I would encourage people, if you're you're thinking about adopting, if you're listening to this and you did and you just found out whatever the case may be you have to look at it from the from the blessing side and i don't know who if you mm-hmm. believe in god and all that that's a Absolutely. that's a totally different conversation but you've been put here in this situation for a reason no matter if you've had some type of heartache or somebody fucked you over or somebody made you upset the other day or you and your parents don't talk anymore because you're upset You've been put in that situation for a reason. So you might as well fucking embrace it now because it's too late to go back. You can't go back in the womb of the person who did nothing, you know, who put you up for adoption. That shit ain't gonna work. So at this point, you just gotta take it for what it is and and move forward, you know? So that's kind of where I am with it. No, I think that's amazing. And, you know, knowing how, how many adoption stories do go south or, you know, they don't find out until they're at this awkward like puberty Mm -hmm. age where they're like oh my gosh who am i plus now like literally who am i um i'm it's cool to hear that you were adopted into such a a loving family and then having a mom that just protected you in your heart throughout the whole time Mm -hmm. um that is that's so beautiful so kind of branching off that you're adopted into not only a new country but a, a black focused community in texas growing up surrounded by People, like like you said, they look like you. Right. You guys battle. You fight the same battles. Um, everything kind of co-lines. What was that like maybe growing up in that transition then to your quote-unquote getting out? Like when did you really recognize 
that you were tr- like you would be treated differently outside of that small town. Yeah. So, you know, the crazy thing is it didn't take me long at all to figure that out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, growing up, I, I say that I, I got to have a lot of fun, but it was it was a little bit different from what everybody else got to do. My mom growing up, she worked for con- what used to be Continental Airlines. So mm-hmm. I got to fly. Cards. And, you know, she didn't make a a shit ton of money when she was working at Continental, but the flights were free. So we still got to live the life as if we were doing all of this. You know, my mom was a a thousandaire. We used to get to fly all over the place. So getting to go different places and being in different situations just because you had to be at the airport, you had an international airport, you have to walk through the airport. You had to have these conversations and you had to have these conversations with your mom before you got out of the car about what you should do, how you should act, what the way we should dress because we look like this. You have to dress up to get on this plane because we're black, right? And and we don't want them to put us at the end of the list because we didn't dress up versus the other person that's getting on the plane. He has flip-flops and some shorts on and a cut-off shirt. We can't do that because you don't look like him. Wow. Um, and then moving forward, you know, not only being in Kendleton gave you a different sense of how it may be when you go other places, you know, Kendleton for a while, we had our own police department and then all of a sudden it went away. It was the rural area. So we were governed by the county, the county, Mm -hmm. they weren't from there. They didn't know what we were doing. So I can remember instances of us playing basketball in the cul-de-sac that was down the street from my house. And all of a sudden two, three police cars pull up, they draw guns. We just out there playing basketball. We don't have any idea what happened. Nobody's yeah. saying anything. All they telling us is just get down on the ground. Mind you, I never got in trouble in my life. I haven't done anything. You know what I'm saying? I've been running track. I've been doing the whole nine yards. I ran USA track and field that year. I'm like, mm-hmm. what the hell is going on? My mom walks down the street and she's trying to figure out what's going on. Well, at the time, crazy thing is, lo and behold, my grandmother is the mayor of Kendallton, Texas at the time. My mm-hmm. mom calls my grandmother. These cops don't even know who my grandmother is. They didn't give a shit. All they knew was it was a bunch of kids that happened to be black. None of them looked like us because they weren't black. And this is, I'm like 12, 13 at the time. And I still remember okay. this, right? Um, wow. To this day, I don't know why we were on the ground and why they had guns drawn. So that just, that wow. that's like something that's always going to be cemented in my head. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, moving past that, Living in Kendleton, there was everybody looked like me. So then when you start to date somebody who looks totally different than you, which I still date my high school sweetheart, right? My wife, me and my wife have been together since high school, but she's white. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, her coming to Kendleton, coming into my world was way different than me going into her world when we were younger. So, you know, it's always going to be something that reminds you of who you are. And that goes back to what I said earlier. We're always going to be reminded of who we are, no matter what situation you're in right and you know I think that's really eye-opening like even just talking about how now that I've talked to just quite a few people and heard their stories from the black community a lot of them talk about having these quote-unquote talks with their parents um, maybe about police or again like you said how to dress um, how they need to wear their hair to go to an interview or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be and so that's something, you know, I've never, I've had maybe the birds and the bees talk. Do you know what I mean? I never, right, yeah. growing up in a white family raised mm-hmm. by white parents, I haven't had to hear or, or worry about that or worry about being out too late at night and being questioned about it. 
And kind of, you know, as you had that first experience at 12, 13 years old, and then going through the rest of your life, was that almost um, one of those cemented memories that then flew through your mind every time you maybe came across law enforcement or you're just growing up, you're do, you know, you, maybe you are doing something quote unquote bad, right? We're yeah. in college or we're messing around, right. you know, did that kind of instill a natural fear in you from that young age of oh, yeah. law enforcement? No, it, it most definitely did. And the, the crazy thing is, like I said, my grandmother was the mayor, so we were around law enforcement quite a bit, but right. it started off being law enforcement that looked like me because they, mm-hmm. a lot of them was, were from that town or they were from, somewhere close but then it grew into you know all of a sudden you get your first car and my conversation about my first car was way different than i think a white counterpart's conversation would be about their first car you know Mm -hmm. i remember my mom had gotten remarried at this time and you know we we got the first car and it was it was like a cool like i'm super excited but then you look at your parents and they have this like this blank look on their face and they're like okay let's go out to the car and I think that most people's experience when you get your first car and you go out to the car, they're like, oh, okay, you like it? My mom's down in the car. And I'm like, okay, cool. They're going to show me all of the switches and they're going to show me how right. the blinker works. And she was like, pull out your phone. And I was like, well, okay, this doesn't have anything to do with the car. And she was like, put it like right here and turn the camera on. At this time, this is when the flip phones were out. So they wanted, this, wanted okay. me to open the flip phone and put it on the dash to see if they could capture everything that was going on in the driver's in the driver's side window and i'm like what what, what is this for like what the fuck are we doing <laughs> they wanted to make sure because my mom rule my mom's rules when you get if you ever get pulled over on in this car if you can't record it because it doesn't work and you can't get it up there fast enough before you pull over you need to put the recording on so you can at least hear what's going on. Or if you can't do that, mm. call me and let me stay on the phone the whole time and I'll record it from my phone. And then it wow. was, do you know where to put your hands at? Like when you get pulled over by the police? This was, and I'm talking mm-hmm. about, this was us practicing, sitting in the car, her standing there. Okay, do you know that you need to let all of your windows down when you get pulled over by the police? Don't just let all of your windows down, but before you pull over, put your hazards on so that he'll know that you're going to pull over. Right. Mm -hmm. So unlock the door so that he doesn't have to have you unlock it. And he doesn't know where your hands are when you unlock the door. What do you have in the car? Make sure that your, your, your chair is up straight up. Don't lean your chair back. Make sure that your chair is straight up when he gets to the car. This was, this was like a practice moment. Like I'll never forget this. And I still do it to this day. I got pulled over two weeks wow. ago. Nobody was with me. I called my wife. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm getting pulled over. I just wanted to have you on the phone. And I'm 32 years old. Right. So, it, you know, those things travel with you. So, the, you know, back to what you asked, like, is it still relevant now? Everything that I've talked about has been, I don't want to say a stain, but it has been a roadmap to how I have to deal with law enforcement now. And I have... I have law enforcement in my in my family. I have friends that are law enforcement. And I, I even hate to say it like that because what it makes me feel like I'm saying, and and honestly, honest to God, it's it's the truth. Is you know, white people say, I have white friends, I have, I mean, I have black friends, I have black people in my family. Right. <laughs> right. But it's the same thing. So a lot of times when a, a Caucasian person says, Man, I got I got black friends. Look, look at my black friends. I can show you pictures of them. I got white friends. I mean, I have black family members. 
that's them saying, hey, you know, I might be a little scared, but look, I, I have people that are in my family like this. And it's the same thing with black people. I'm like, so I got, I got law enforcement that's that's my family i got law enforcement that's my friend but i'm still scared of shit don't change the fact that Mm -hmm. that i'm afraid of what could happen if they're not the ones who pull me over you know what i mean that doesn't change anything so sometimes i hate even saying that but at the end of the day i mean it's true just like it would be true for any other situation but i mean it just sucks like the shit that's going on right now it really just sucks absolutely absolutely and i and i think you know we'll unpack that too in in a little bit but i do think that it it just has probably elevated memories of maybe you growing up or or even just um putting yourself very empathetically in the shoes of in this instance you know george floyd yeah. or um in, anyone who has previously been a, a victim of police brutality in the black community you can vid- visually and physically almost put yourself there knowing what you know maybe you've been through or even just knowing that could have oh, been it's crazy. i told my wife i could not even watch the video of Ahmaud Arbery or George Floyd because every time I looked at it, I was like, fuck, like, that could have most definitely been me and me and my wife talked mm-hmm. about two different situations that I've been in. I try to stay in shape as much as possible. I don't live mm-hmm. in the hood. I do well for myself, so my neighborhood is probably predominantly white at this point, right? Right. I jog basically at least three to four times a week. I'm in real estate. So anytime a developer is building a new house or is building a new floor plan, we usually walk those. I have new floor mm-hmm. plans coming up in my neighborhood right now. So the other day, I was jogging in my neighborhood. It's no freaking way that everybody in my neighborhood knows me. So what if I right. was jogging in my neighborhood? And then I told Jessica, I was actually on the phone with her. I'm like, I'm going to stop and look at this DR Hortonist because it's a totally different floor plan than what they've put out already. I just so happened to be jogging. Mm-hmm. This was before the the Ahmaud Arbery thing even happened. I stopped okay. jogging, walked into the house, looked at the floor plan, came out and continued to jog and jog back to my house. The mm-hmm. difference is, is there is no fucking difference. The difference is there wasn't somebody in the back of a truck following me thinking that I broke into a house. It's the same exact right, situation. Right. I'm a black dude 100%. jogging in a white neighborhood. I go into a house, I come back out, I continue jogging. The difference is, is I made it home. And so when I had a conversation mm. with somebody that I consider to be one of my friends, he was like, bro, this this was his words. He was like, bro, that was a white neighborhood. If I was jogging through a black neighborhood, I would expect to get my ass whooped. Why? Like, that doesn't make sense. Right, right. I mean, to me, that just doesn't make sense. So I, I, I had to tell him. I had to say, so do you think I should not jog in my neighborhood? And then he was he was quiet after that. But I mean, it's the same freaking thing, right? No, hundred percent, hundred percent. So it's just I don't know. Wow. Well, uh, unpacking then. So we kind of went from you know you being a teen, you're you're getting in this car. Then we kind of talk about these experiences with law enforcement at an early age. Then you kind of have trinkled in, and I want to get into further your wife. Right. So you you met in middle school. Obviously, she was a part of a white family in the community then? Or how did you guys meet? And how how was that reciprocated in her family and yours? Yeah, so, you know, me and my wife, we met at a really young age. Um, We met in high school. She was, I want to say she was like 15, 14, 15. I was 15, 16, somewhere around there. We've been together 17 years now, 10 and seven years married. Um, 
Wow. So it's been a really long time. And, you know, Jessica is not somebody that I would have met in my community because, like I said, it, it wasn't a lot of white families or white people in my community. So had it not been for high school, I would have never met Jessica. Um, okay. And our families, you know, and I'm just be honest, it fucking sucked at first. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and I say that it wasn't a big deal on my side other than you need to be careful. Like, I, I know right. this is somebody you want to talk to, but you need to be careful. I need to remind you of who you are and what you look like. When you go somewhere, if you're driving, my mom would even say, you need to start talking. You let Jessica talk and tell, her, tell the officer who you are. You need to be careful. Like, that was the conversation. Whereas, right. you know, in turn, the conversation with my wife's family was, you don't fucking need to date him. Like this is mm. this is not who you're gonna be with. Like we don't give a shit what's going on. You're not gonna be with him. You're gonna figure out somebody else to date. We don't give a damn who it is. You're not gonna date a black guy. Y'all can be friends, is what their what their notion was. Like y'all can be friends, but you won't date him. So wow. you know, those are two different sides of the coin. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it was caution on both sides, but it, it fucking sucked to be a kid that were in the middle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're not adults. Right. We're, we're kids. We, you know, we're under our parents' roof. We don't know what to do. But, you know, we're kids and we, it probably pushed us closer together than did he. And, you know, obviously we had right. time where we broke up, but it wasn't because she was white and I was black. It was just because, you know, we were in high school and we were doing our own things and we were getting in trouble and doing the whole nine yards. But did our parents want us to be together? Hell no, I don't think our parents wanted us to be together. Did one, you know, one side of our family lean towards, okay, we'll let y'all try this versus the other? Yeah. My family was like, okay, cool. Y'all just be careful. But her family was like, hell no, this ain't going to fly. At the end of the day, I mean, wow. now, um, you know, there's still a little bit of, I would say there's probably still a little bit of underlying animosity there. But once you throw two kids into the mix, we have a boy and a girl, they're, they're five and nine now five and eight, um, it's a little bit too late to be like, hey, y'all, y'all, I mean, y'all can't be together. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's kind of, it is what it is in in terms of that. But, you know, at the beginning, man, it was horrible. Right, right. And I just have to question, like, how, how was your guys' friend group? You know, was there any, um, you know, I talked to a girl, she has a mm-hmm. white husband and she kind of said how her friends were like, why aren't you dating someone black? And then his friends were like, why are you dating? Why aren't you dating a white girl? Mm-hmm. So was there kind of, were there any of those friendship questions too of like, you know, your, your boys kind of telling you, Hey, you know, are you sh- like, are you good? Like, do you, you know, do you yeah. need a wingman? Like, were they, were they kind of supportive yeah, of you? So, you know, I would say in high school, it may have been a little bit different because at that point, I mean, I was like one of the popular guys in high school. She was a cheerleader. I was playing football, running track, the whole was knew everybody, you know, homecoming queen, homecoming king, that that whole type of thing. So as far as like people saying to us okay. something to us at that point, it wasn't really a thing. I would say the fuck the okay. crazy thing is is now that we've been together seventeen years, I get more pushback now than I did when I was younger, outside of her family, right? So, like, now we have the thing where, you know, I I mean, I get pushed back from black women all the time. It's like, damn, you couldn't find one of us. Like, you know, you're doing doing well in life. You couldn't find one of us. Or, 
you know, I think that she gets to push back because she still has to come into my world, right? So I always, I always say that we mm-hmm. have two different worlds that we've meshed together. I have a bunch of black friends, and mm-hmm. that's like my core, right? I'm, I don't act like I'm married mm-hmm. to somebody white, as people would say. I'm in a group called the Emerging One Hundred. Right. That's the little brother of one hundred black men, and it's all, it's an all black organization. I went to a HBCU. Okay. Me and Jessica were still dating when I went to Houston Tillerson, which is a HBCU. It's all black people. I never changed what okay. my walk in life would be because I was dating Jessica. Um, and I always have okay. to explain to people. And I've had this conversation openly with people. I'm like, I didn't date Jessica because she was white. I dated Jessica because that's who was meant for me. It didn't have shit to do with her being white. It just happened to be. Right. The, the crazy thing is we were sitting down with the kids last night. We have a pool in our backyard. So my kids have, you know, started getting darker and all of the whole nine yards. And they like, you and mommy totally different colors. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we, we totally <laughs> different colors. And, you know, to them, they see it because they see what color they are. They see what color we are. I told them last night, I forgot your mom was white. Like I literally, <laughs> I literally do not think about the fact that Jessica is white. Like it, it never crosses my mind until somebody is like, right. "Damn, you know, Jay Boo is," and that's a nickname. Jay Boo is white, and you black. How is that dynamic? I'm like, well, fuck, I forgot that she was white. Yeah, wait, she's white. You know what I'm saying? So, but but yeah, when yeah. I was younger, I didn't get any pushback. I didn't start getting pushback until I was in college, until I until I got older. Because, like I said, I went to HBCU. Obviously. You know, you you break up for a period of time, you date while you're in college, you know, and, and I dated some black girls and talked to some black girls. And then they see you back with this white girl with blonde hair, blue eyes. And I, I'm not talking about like Jessica looks like she's mixed anything. I'm talking about like she looked like she could surf. Right. Like blonde hair, blue <laughs> eyes, you know, amazing body you know, the whole nine yards. So when they see this person, they're like, well, this not, this is not the, this not who I've been talking to. It ain't no way you talk to her. It ain't no way right. you went to Houston to wow. the HBCU in Austin. There's no way that you're in an emerging 100, an all black organization. It's, it's all seeing you do doesn't line up with who you're with. But I'm like, why? The shit that I want to be a part of doesn't have anything to do with who I'm with. And so right. that's the stigma right. that I've had to fight. Um, not necessarily now from family or from friends. It's, it's people that don't recognize it. And I even take it back. I, we always tell us it's a funny story now. But when I first got inducted into the Emerging 100, my wife, there was an induction ceremony. So everybody's family came. Everybody joined together at this club. We It was going to be an amazing night. Everybody's family is walking in because obviously we got there earlier. They see Jessica walk in. Everybody's like, damn, this is just a fine-ass white girl walking in, right? So I get up, I go over to Jessica, I give her a kiss. I'm like, hey, babe, you know what I'm saying? Grab her, pull her towards me. And everybody is like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> because to me, I never thought about the fact, hey, you joined an all-black organization. Maybe you should tell them that your wife is white so that they'll know. Nobody right. knew that my wife was white. But to me, it's not a big deal. But to them, it was like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know that your wife was white. <laughs> So that's that's the reactions that I get because I don't I'm not in a conversation like hey um, my wife on the way but I just want to let y'all know that she's white okay no I, I mean that's that's not right, a thing right me. so it, it, that's the only that's the only thing it's, it's crazy at that point right and I feel like as people get older 
they, you know, they get more opinionated, they grow up in maybe households that then don't quote unquote look like yours. And then it's, you know, oh, like you're out of the norm when really what is the norm there? You know, there should be no norm. Um, But then, you know, obviously bringing two kids into the mix, you now have this family that you not only want to provide for and you want to protect, but you also have to teach. And I'm just curious because they are obviously mm-hmm. biracial children. Do do you as a father have those same conversations with them that your mom oh, yeah. still I mean, have I, with you? I mean, I, I hate it, but I had a conversation with my son mm-hmm. yesterday. Um, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, you need to understand that you're black. You know, you might be lighter mm-hmm. than your counterparts and you might, you know, have a little bit straighter hair or whatever the fuck it may be, but you're black. All right. So when somebody sees you, mm-hmm. they, they're going to see you as black. And the reason that that conversation mm-hmm. came up is because we have a really, really open household to where, you know, our kids can ask us anything. I don't give a shit what it is. I'd rather you ask me before you have to go out into the world and ask somebody else. I don't care if it's, you know, it's about sex. I don't care if it's about something that you don't understand. Ask me anything because that's the type of relationship that I want with my kids. So we've been right. watching all of this. We've been watching the marches. We've been watching like the Black Lives Matter movement. My son has um, TikTok. So they've been doing different stuff on there, you know, and my daughter's mm-hmm. going to ask the same question he's he's asking. So we just have a family conversation about it. And, you know, I want mm-hmm. him to understand that even though his skin is darker than yours, this can still happen to you because you're going to be out in the world one day. You're probably going to be a muscular black guy because you're going to look like your dad. And you just, you <laughs> you you know, you're going to be out. And I don't want you to forget just because your mom is white and then you get it misconstrued, like somebody's going to look at you a little bit different because you have a little lighter skin. That's not going to happen. At the end of the day, you're going to be a black guy walking around, a buff black guy walking around that somebody may be intimidated by. You never know what's going to happen. And I hate this. I hate this. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it has to be something systemic. Like it's something that has been ingrained in us. But I tell my wife all the time, I hate feeling sorry for walking into a room and intimidating other people. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when we walk mm-hmm. into a room and people look at me, no matter if I'm dressed in a three-piece suit or if I'm dressed in, you know, some Air Max, some skinny jeans and a nice shirt, People still look at me and they're like, oh, shit. Like, okay, if I bump into people, I usually tend to say, hey, I'm so sorry about that. Whereas if somebody bumps into me, I'm still saying, hey, I'm so sorry about that. And that's just because I know Mm. that they're already intimidated and I don't want any problems. Like, I don't want somebody to look at me and be like, oh, fuck. Like, he bumped into me and then they have to go get somebody and then they become the problem because they think I had a problem with them. So I'm automatically on the, hey, I'm so sorry about that. And I told my wife, like, I hate that. But it's automatic because Mm -hmm. me, when I'm somewhere, I don't want any problems. If I go out with Jessica's friends, Mm -hmm. I'm usually the only black dude. So a couple gets into it. They start fighting. They start arguing. And it doesn't even have to be physical. But let's just say it gets loud. I'm apologizing to the people in the fucking club. Like, it's my fault. Like, like I'm the person that says, hey, man, I'm sorry about this, man. They, they just been drinking a little bit because I know if something happens, they going to come over. Even if that conversation has calmed down, they going to come over and they going to look at me and be like, what's going on? 
I don't want right. to be a scapegoat. So I tend to do that. And I and and my son has like my son will be like, Dad, why you apologize? I because daddy Or, you know, daddy bumped into him, so I just told him sorry. It sucks. Right. It sucks. Wow. Well, and, and you know, to have kids and having them start to see those things and pick up on how, you know, maybe you live versus their friend, right. their white friend's dad, you know, that they, they can start. Kids are smart. You know, we, we start to pick up those things and see those things and wonder why and start to piece it together. So to, to be a parent and have to, to still have those conversations, you know, I'm, it's, it's gotta be heart wrenching, but also something that, you right. know, because like it's one of those things do. that like, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to compare it to something, but it, I guess it's like dieting, right? You, it, nobody likes to die. <laughs> nobody likes to not eat mm -hmm. what they want. I want to eat donuts every day. I want to I want to just indulge in them and I'm trying to break it down to the most simplest form that anybody can understand and it's not that simple but I mean it almost is like when you grow up black you know that you can't do certain things or you're gonna fucking die when you grow up like anybody right. you know you can't eat donuts or McDonald's every fucking day because you're gonna die it's that simple certain things mm -hmm. in the black community that you can't do that other people can it sucks but it's the it's the truth Right. Well, with with now all of these that this movement, you know, coming into more so a re revolution, which I've mentioned plenty of times before, I hate that it had to come to someone else's life being lost for it to become such a loud right. movement right now. But with everything kind of going on right now, and especially you, you know, being down in Texas near Houston now. You know, you're kind of in a, a huge area to where people people right. know what are going on, right? You're not you're not in a small town. Have you seen um, kind of anything going on now in like your neighborhoods or you know protesting around your area that you're seeing um, kind of like a change going forward, or you could see that in just even the community I mean, I you're see from? it here. Um, so I'm in the Houston area, and like where I live is actually in the suburbs of Houston. So we're right outside of the okay. city, but you know, what on in the immediate city, I mean, we just had a, a march and it was peaceful. I think it was probably one of the few peaceful marches yeah. that have happened over the last, you know, month or so. We had over 60,000, 70,000 people downtown marching, um, not only for George Floyd, but, you know, for injustices that have happened over the last 10 right. plus years. And we've been seeing them happen over and over again, but there have been small movements, but there hasn't been anything that has has changed an entire system. Um, and my thing is, mm -hmm. you know, with all of this stuff that's happening, and I tell people all the time, with all of this stuff that's happening, with all of the movement and all of the, you know, the intangibles that we have that are tied to these movements and the momentum that we have right now, we need to take that same momentum to the polls. I don't, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna be super honest with you. The presidential nomination is not the most important nomination to me. It is not. I do feel mm -hmm. like some of what happens from the presidential seat trickles down to your local governments, but your local government is the mm -hmm. most it's the most important nomination that you can make. Starting with 
you know, mm-hmm. even down to your school boards, your 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 mayor Absolutely. of your own town, your city council, your your chief of police. That's the stuff that us as Americans, us as people in these smaller communities, up to your larger communities like Houston, like you know, like LA or you know, wherever we're talking about, that's the stuff that we need to start changing. Because I mean, Donald mm. Trump, yeah, he has a rhetoric that trick trickles down to people that feel like they can say certain things and they can do certain things and and there's no repercussions for those things. But Donald Trump does not change your local laws. Donald Trump is not going to walk into, right. you know, your local um, mayor's office and say, hey, I want your police to do this and this is what you're going to do. That That's not even realistic. If you want to change something on a local level, mm-hmm. you have to vote locally. And I think that's what a lot of people don't see. You know, and I and I love the fact that everybody's screaming about get out and vote, get out and vote. We need to change this. We need to change that. But I want it to be more specific that we need to vote locally and we need to start there. And then right. we push forward and go up. Don't let it trickle down. We need to push forward and go up from where we are now. Absolutely. And I do think that with politics in general, um, I mean, I've never been one to get super into politics and that's on my own fault, but mostly because I just, I, I never know like who's saying what, you know, people are like, don't listen to CNN. Then I tell you to listen to CNN. Right. Then they, t- you know, I'm like, what news station is even giving coverage for me to like know these candidates or whatever it might be. But especially after this motion in history, um, you know, my husband and I have sat down because, you know, I'm expecting and we're talking about our family and what we want to raise to also help make a change. And we're like, damn, you know, babe, we need to understand politics. You know, we need to know who's running our shit and who's going to be in our, in our children's school and running all that. And, you know, the mayors and everything, you know, like you said, local, um, which then obviously these local governments are inspired by the bigger governments. You know, they, they look at quote unquote Trump and they're like, wow, he, I want to be like him, right? Because they, they want to mm-hmm. obviously do more, um, at least in, in most cases. So I do think that it's very important to to vote, use that right that we all have, which is beautiful, um, and, and get out there and do the damn thing. But, I mean, even I'm at fault for not putting my best foot forward in education under the political system. And I do think that this could be a huge wake-up call yeah, for a lot absolutely. of people to do that. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's a really good time. Sure. You know, I mean, we are... I, don't, I guess I'm considered uh, the millennial and then you're considered Generation X or we're both millennials. I don't really know. I think so, yeah. Who, but, yeah. Who the all fuck of that knows? Shit. No. And I tell people all the time because, you know, it's this rhetoric on the news, CNN, Fox News, all of these different news channels. They're talking about who's pushing the vote, right? Like who's pushing a young vote? Who needs to get out and vote? And who needs to do all of this? It's fucking simple. Everybody needs to. You know what I'm saying? I mean, right. the right. statistics 100%. say one thing, but re- reality says another. Right now, we all need to go vote. And I don't care if you're voting for somebody right. that I'm not voting for, but s- still exercise the right. I mean, my grandmother, you mm-hmm. know, and this is the crazy thing. I'm adopted. Obviously, we talked about that earlier, but I'm still only four generations removed from slavery. Right? So, right. So when you right. think about that, you you four to five generations removed from slavery. That's not that fucking long ago. Like, you know, and I and right, I know right. I know people say, hey, slavery is over. When are we gonna move forward? That's all good and dandy, but 
just like I was in the military. I did six years in the military. There's nobody that says, hey, grandpa, you've been out of the military for 60 years. You're now 80. You don't have PTSD. It's nobody that says mm-hmm. that. PTSD can be passed down from generation to generation because I'm doing it right now. My post-traumatic stress disorder from being an African-American man in the United States, in a small town, has now been passed down to my son, who just so happens to be interracial. But it doesn't matter because the things that have happened to me, I have to now tell him, and he has to be prepared for those things. That's that's how post-traumatic stress is passed down from generation to generation. And it seems like people don't understand that when you talk to them about it. Right, right. Well, and it and it's crazy because, like you said, only f- four generations, and people act like, like well, you guys shouldn't be upset yeah. about this anymore. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like a lot of people in the white community are like, we we had nothing to do with it. It's like, bro, it, it was, but it wasn't right. that long ago. Like, our damn near grandparents could have had something to do with it. Or, and regardless, that's it. Doesn't excuse the way that a lot of people treat your community nowadays, period. So like, let's just like cut the shit there. Um, But I do think that it's, it's again, been a very powerful time. Um, And I do just have to ask you Mm -hmm. like one question. And this is just kind of for my own like insight. I've tended to, you know, when I've been sharing and being outspoken about just educating, sharing resources on my own platform, Um, If I've ever, and this has only happened like one time, if I've ever said something, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, wrong, right? Like maybe I said something that I didn't use the right verbiage or the right word. I've never actually heard from someone in the black community. If I get quote unquote attacked, right? I only hear from, I've only heard negatively out of all of my demographic of following that I know I have. I've only been attacked by white people do you at all see in your own personal eyes like sometimes the white community almost trying to fight the battle in um a non how do i say it in a in a way that it's like not their place to put their opinion in yeah no so that makes sense i mean and i don't want to say that i'm probably the perfect person to ask this but i'm probably the perfect person to ask this right Okay, um, okay, well, I'm excited. And the reason I say that is, I mean, it's a few different things. Um, one, you know, we, me and my wife almost had this same exact conversation um, because, mm-hmm. you know, where I am in life and the things that I do and the things that I try to contribute to society may be a little bit different than what other people are doing, right? So, you know, I still try to give back to my community, right. but I'm married to a white woman. So some people will be like, well, you're not giving back to your community because you you could have kept everything that you're doing in your community, including, you know, marrying black, uh, mm-hmm. black women. Um, and then there mm-hmm. are also people that say, you don't speak out, out enough about injustice because you are, you make this money and you run in these circles and you have this platform in terms of social media. You don't speak out about injustices enough. We see you talking about your business, but you don't talk about injustices enough. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I, mm-hmm. I post, but I don't post as much as a lot of people do. Um, but my wife, mm-hmm. on the other hand, who was having us to be white, and I'm and and like I said, blonde hair, blue eyes. When she there has been an injustice, she's gonna post about it. She's gonna speak about it. She's going mm-hmm. to 
you know, she's going to get upset. She's going to let people know that she's upset. She's going to let people know that this is bullshit. Black people shouldn't be treated like this. And I don't do that as much. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't think it's wrong mm-hmm. that she fights the good fight for people that don't say much about it. I don't say a lot about it sometimes because mm-hmm. I don't know what to say. You know, she she mm-hmm. has a voice on that side and she lives with me and she knows how it affects me and she knows that I get upset about it and, and you know, I have anxiety about doing certain things and I have anxiety when, when we're in certain places. So she can then relay that information to other people that I don't necessarily get online and put. You know what I mean? So for me, right. I appreciate right. the fact that she does it because, damn, maybe I should have mm-hmm. said a little bit more about Philando Castile when it happened. I don't think I put anything online. Maybe mm-hmm. I should have, you know, mm-hmm. said a little bit more about George Floyd when it happened. I mean, I put up some stuff and maybe I should have did more than run 2.23 miles for Ahmaud Arbery when that happened. I ran them, I ran it. I put that up. I showed my support. I talked to people about it. Maybe I should have did a little bit more. You know, and to this day, my wife posted something mm-hmm. today. So for me, I mean, it's, it's basically like it, it makes me feel good because I don't like mm-hmm. really speak out enough. I do, but I don't feel like I speak out enough. So I know that there are those that maybe, you know, they get upset because people that aren't of color speaking out too much. I just right. don't see why they would. And maybe I'm missing something. Maybe maybe there's something that somebody needs to explain to me. But right. I'm like, Absolutely. isn't that what we want? Um, don't, don't we want people that are not of color to be, you know, on our side and, you know, speaking out against the things that they see? Because at the end of the day, you know, Black Lives Matter. They do. But we can't mm-hmm. be the only people saying it. We need people that Absolutely. don't look like us saying it, too, and recognizing the injustices. So if somebody gets upset that you speak out, I mean, I don't understand mm-hmm. why they don't. I mean, why they do get mad. I, I just, I don't get it. And I guess maybe it's because right. I'm in the household right. with somebody who does. And I do think, I mean, I think we're all, especially outside of the Black community during this time, really trying to find our voice for you guys. And how, how can we speak correctly right. and articulate what we're trying to say without you know, making it about us. Like it's not about us. So, but as humans, we're so programmed to just the way we speak naturally make it, um, about your own self during the time, right? Like, Oh, like I'm doing all these things. I'm doing all these things. It's like, no, 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 no. Like it's not about what you're doing. It's what, who you're doing it for and why. Um, so I think during this time, a lot of navigation has occurred, um, for people of, of all platforms, just understanding, um, even their own, you know, deep rooted, um, maybe biases that they've had or, or anything like that. You know, it's just been a really cool time of growth, but, um, also a time that again, we want to be the, the voice for the voiceless, but it's also like exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing past the mic. I also don't want to speak for you, you know, but how can I amplify what you're right. saying, you know, so, right. So it's, what it's been definitely a, yeah. a beautiful time, hundred percent. Um, so I guess to kind of wrap this podcast up and come full circle, you know, out of the past, you know, three weeks now going on four, I even think what has been one takeaway that you've gained and maybe something that you 
want to continue to see go forward or change that you hope to occur from this? I mean, the biggest takeaway for, for me is that I want people to understand that when you stand for something and you fight for something and you, you put mm -hmm. all that you have into it as a collective, right? Not just one person, but as a collective, which is why I say that I am, you know, I want to stand up more. I want to say mm -hmm. more things. I want to do more. But we right now, we're yeah. showing what we can do as a collective. And I think that in the past, you know, there's a group of people that try to fight. There's a group of people that try to say something. Um, and then there's a group of people that are like, right. when is the celebrity going to say something? Mm -hmm. Don't wait for the celebrity to do it. You know what I mean? I mean, and, and I talk to generation, the millennials, and I talk to generation X, and I talk to the older generations. Man, I've been seeing people on canes <laughs> walking out and just, not even if they can't protest, just mm -hmm. telling people this wasn't right. I was at the barbershop this morning. My barber is Hispanic. He was cutting a white guy's hair before me. And the white guy was like, you know, I've never seen anything mm -hmm. like this, but this isn't right. That's the that's the things that that you know that encourages me. And those are the things that I see now that are different with this movement mm -hmm. versus what was happening in the past. Um, and then you know what I want to see more of is the same. I want to see more of us coming together. And I also want to see, like, this is where I think the the, the biggest change will be. Mm. It's about what you do with your dollars. You know, me, I'm I'm really big on investing. I've gotten into the stock market since it's so low. I've never put any money into the stock mm -hmm. market. This is my first time ever. I put money into the stock market because now this is the point right. where I want to see it grow. I've also taken my time to say, hey, let me diversify what my portfolio looks like. I don't want to just own all these properties, which I own quite a few. Let me start a trucking business just in case this whole real estate thing goes away. Let me start my app because I know that, you know, the that side of the Silicon Valley and all of the, all of that side mm -hmm. of it will always be there. Let me diversify what I'm in so that then at some point I can bring other people that not only look like me, but that wouldn't have the opportunities to get into these businesses. Absolutely. I can bring them along Absolutely. With me. You know what I mean? So I want people to start focusing on what you know what their dollar yeah. looks like in the right places not necessarily what their dollar look like looks like in their pocket but what it looks like when you mm -hmm. put it in the right places and you invest in what's around you and you invest in like land and you invest in like building what a future would look like for you and your family and your friends and people that you may not even know that you'll come in contact with that need what you right. can bring to the table so that's what mm -hmm. i want to see come from this you know, and I know a lot of people talk about this whole reparations thing. If we got reparations, that would be great. Will we get them? I doubt it. Um, but why don't we create our right. own reparations right now? <laughs> you know what I mean? This is a perfect opportunity to see what's out there and let's create it and let's build together yeah. and let's make something happen. Because, I mean, there are so many communities that have been doing it for generations. Everybody talks about how the Jewish community has come up. It's because they did it together. It's because they got up and then they reached back and they pulled somebody else up and it's that each one teach one mentality. Right. And that's what I want to be a part of. So that's kind okay. of where I am with this whole thing. Um, and, I, and I just want us to be able to learn and grow and at some point not fight against each, each other, but 
fight against the people that may try to oppress, no matter if it's only black people, it's Hispanic people, whoever it is, there's always going to be somebody that may try to oppress yeah. the other person. No, I love that. Stuff. And I think that, again, everyone I've talked to has had such different ways of articulating what they see, what they want to see happen. So I, I loved hearing that because I think that can give even more people a different perspective on investments and in, in where to go while still supporting this this movement and this motion in history. So I do think that's great. Well, um, overall, Avery, I mean, you have an amazing story that is still not even all the way written, which is actually terrifying to me. Um, (laughs) I'm excited to see what you do. And I'm excited to now be, you know, a new friend and fellow person that you can come to. And um, if you need anything, I'm here to help, um, you know, whatever you need. So with with that kind of being said, I want people to know where to find you. I know you have an upcoming podcast as well. Um, I want people to kind of, you can kind of gla- glaze over that real quick if you want to. I think that that's super exciting, can help a lot of people. Um, but just tell people where to find you going forward and how to continue to um, maybe be in contact. Yeah, so, you know, on Instagram is AT sold it underscore AT closed it. And if you can't find me there, if you type in AT sold it or AT closed it on Google, I swear <laughs> I'll be the first thing to pop up. Um, on Facebook is Avery Taylor, comma, the real estate professional. Um, or you can type in at AT sold it on Facebook. Man, I'm everywhere. So I have a podcast coming out. It's going to be called The Sharks of Real Estate. Um, shout out to Speaker Box Media, who will be spearheading the whole thing. They kind of run my media for me. Um, they have a podcast studio in Houston, downtown, called uh, The Pod. Um, and it's it's amazing. So I've already had Ariana on one episode. So once it comes out, I can't wait for you guys to hear that. But basically what we talk about is all things real estate, whether it's investing, whether it's being a real estate uh you know, professional on the real estate agent side or like, you know, she's a transaction coordinator. We're going to deep dive into everything real estate. And people ask me what I do. One of the biggest stories that I talked about on there is in my first three months of real estate, I made a little bit over Mm -hmm. $50,000 and I was able to quit my job. And now two years later, you know, real estate fully runs my life and and provides for my family and it's giving me the opportunity to start other businesses that have been successful so you know that's what that podcast is about so look for that coming out later on this year and outside of that i'll be writing a book it'll basically be my story what we talked about here and what continues to happen and it'll include my family you want to look up the charity that we have also it's called Heaven Instead. You can visit that at heaveninstead.org. That's heaveninstead.org. We pay for stillborn babies funeral services with that charity. Um, we've helped over wow. 100 families now. Last year, we did over $60,000 in funeral services. So, you know, that's something that's near and dear to both me and my wife's heart. She is the CEO of Heaven Instead. I am just the marketing director. Director, So that is my wife's baby. And um, yeah, man, you guys, that's amazing. please check me out. That's so possible. awesome. And so, I mean, yeah. you you have your ducks in a row. That is so amazing. And, and it's, it's so inspiring <laughs> again. I mean, I'm only a few years younger than you. But again, just to that kind of constant strive to be your best 
for not just your family, not just your close friends, but the, honestly the world. And so I think you're doing a lot of good. I'm really excited for your podcast, especially, um, but also to look into the charity um, and also be able to support there. So I will make sure to put all these links in the description box, guys, in the show notes. Make sure you check them out. Um, even just to give any site a visit, often boost it in SEO um, to where it's more seeable on Google, maybe searchable on Facebook. Um, so just go there, drop them a like, drop them a follow, whatever it might be. Um, but I'm so excited. Thank you again, Avery, for being on. I'm, I think that this was Again, another. Thank you so much for having yeah, me. Yeah, no, it's, this it's is, so I fun. fun. I mean, you're you're obviously recording podcasts yourself too, so you understand just how how nice it is to unplug, truly be present for a conversation, and not be able to be distracted. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's great. You you get locked into a conversation like this and they can go on for an hour or two hours. <laughs> right. Like, Man, I've been here this long. But no, and it's it's always better to have it with somebody like you, Des. You did an amazing job. So guys, yes. please boost this. I know I'm kind of <laughs> taking over what she's doing. So you can kind of tell that I have my own podcast, but please boost what she's doing because it matters. I don't I don't understand if people don't realize it. And I don't realize if people don't understand it. But this right here, it matters. It matters because she's stepping out on a limb. She's making shit happen. She's doing it on her own. Her <laughs> oh, man, I'm literally... <laughs> Follow what she's doing. Make this shit go viral. Make it... I mean, I'm talking about making it pop because this um, is amazing. So I just want to congratulate you and thank you for having no, me No, thank you. It's thank you amazing. again. And yes, guys, it's please feel free... Share this episode, copy the link, share it to your Instagram stories, um, tag us so we can repost you, share it on your Facebook, share it with a family member, whatever it might be. Again, this is a non-profit podcast. I just do this for fun. I enjoy it. I don't have ads running. There's nothing that I'm gaining from you guys listening except the support of not just myself, but whoever my guest is. And at this point is Avery. So thank you again, Avery, for being on. I'm so excited to re-listen to this again. Um, But we will chat soon. And thank you guys for being a part of the podcast.